edition of let me tell you something and not only is the latest one you're hearing it's the latest one we're recording because sigh we did a boo-boo i'm your co-host Lorca mullen and the person that i just said some baby talk to is my co-host simon cross simon how did we screw up uh we we neglected um something we neglected a match now in defense of ourselves it's it's a match uh we've we've already had on this list so you can kind of forgive us for um not seeing this particular outing because we've seen so many fine particular outings between these two. And we'd also uh, accidentally seen a match that wasn't given five stars earlier. I think that must have been where the confusion lay. Yes. Uh, but, because what are we covering, Simon? Uh, we are covering uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. But, this takes place on the 14th of October 2013. We did what Cher always wished she could have done. We turned back time. We found a way. <laughs> so the funny thing is, of course, that we've watched since this episode, uh, in, before, in between the period of us when we should have recorded this and when we've recorded other matches afterwards, we have watched the match that will immediately follow this episode in release order, but not in Meltzer five-star sequential order. Um, Because this was supposed to be the feud capper of sorts at this point. Um, The stipulation going into this match was that if Tanahashi was to get another title shot against Okada, it would be his last one. Um, at this point, they're going in, if you ignore the the one-off match they had whilst Okada was a young lion, since Okada's return in 2012, they have a record one-on-one of 2-2-1 two, two, and one draw. Um, Okada, of course, we saw defeat Tanahashi for the IWGP heavyweight title six months earlier uh, at the same venue, the Sumo Hall, uh, after withstanding... Tanahashi's relentless assault on his arm. And now we're here with Okada having gone through a a couple more defences. They both failed to win the G1 Climax. Uh, That was won by Tetsuya Naito, who waits in the wings eagerly for his guaranteed main event at Wrestle Kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that aged like milk. (laughs) But this is... So this is essentially... Tanahashi's final chance at the title and I have to say out of the matches that we've seen between the three of them both in the past and beyond this match into the future uh, this is the most one-sided match it feels to me insofar as Tanahashi clearly is so desperate that he's wrestling the match of his life essentially at this point and Okada's really the champion having to hang on against the hungry challenger. You wouldn't think that the ages were the way they were in a way, that the the way that both men are having to wrestle this match. Yeah, and it's um, interesting from Jump Street, Hiroshi... From Jump uh, Street, add that to your, to your uh, bingo cards, ladies and gentlemen. I am quite fond of that phrase. Uh, Tanahashi just grounds Okada from yeah. the outset, and he just tries to wear him down. Yeah, he works that headlock reminiscent of the uh, CM Punk-Samoa Joe match, but I would say he does a, 
an even better, smoother job of it than than CM Punk even manages to do. He builds tension well, and um, the little bits where Okada like has like a little flurry or a little escape, then he reapplies it. It's just a great way to get the crowd invested in what you're doing very early doors and without having to do a lot like mm. it's not really a great physical strain unlike um some of the stuff we've seen um in the past where people just go at each other from the bell you know yeah well that's the thing you can make anything work as long as you put it in right i remember paul Heyman saying you could make a believable finisher out of a headlock if you gave it to mark henry and he did it in a particular way you know yeah. uh, obviously um Chris Masters brought new life to the full Nelson a few years earlier. Um, and it's funny because there's, there's some fun little callbacks throughout this match. You know how I often cite Kazuchika Okada as reminiscent of Ric Flair? This match yeah. has a, a, a repeat of a spot, a popular Flair spot, where Okada goes for the drop down on the run of the ropes, and instead Tanahashi just stops and immediately goes down and applies a headlock. Uh, we've seen Flair do that in five-star matches against Barry Windham and Ricky Steamboat. Whereas whilst those matches, it's played more for laughs, I suppose. Especially the way that Windham does it with his timing. With this one, it's that sense of Tanahashi's just seeing every single opening and finding a place there. And, and just owning Okada at all points, you know? Not giving him a second's respite, as it were. Well, he's shown that laser focus that he needs, obviously, because he is in the last chance saloon, as you alluded to earlier. He's mm. got to be switched on at all times and all moments. Yeah, and so when Okada, after about five or so minutes of him being basically owned in this headlock, when he finally escapes, he's not even able to do like a cocky slap in the corner, which he never does in this match, actually. Yeah. Uh, again, because just uh, Tanahashi never gives him a chance to. He... Um, He's, he's selling just the ache and the, and the discomfort that he has. And so Tan- and Tanahashi's always able to keep on him after that. And then Tanahashi again outwits him by doing some sort of classic Bret Hart playing possum <laughs> situation where Okada charges him in the corner and Tanahashi leapfrogs over and acts as if he's got a really hurt knee. It was a beautiful way to work the crowd. Um, as well because they were they were into the match but it added another extra dimension because it's like right that guy's clearly been a knobhead we hate him now and like we want okada to do well and it just it just plugged another uh element another like avenue of telling the story in and it was really good like playing possum as well and like tanahashi's like dancing on the knee afterwards yeah yeah. it's just does the Beautiful. air guitar strut. And he does essentially say, I'm willing to be your heel for this match, essentially. Yeah. Whereas in the previous one, he was a little bit um, put off by the fact that the fans seemed to cheer Tanahashi over him, even though he was more uh, Okada over him, even though he was more flagrantly cheating with things like rope breaks and everything. But you can see from the start, Tanahashi, when he makes his entrance, he's got the go ace, smiling, happy look. The second he's in the ring and Okada's, like, pre-entrance theme starts and everything, his face yeah. just switches to very serious, very determined, laser-focused. He's coming in this with a game plan, and he is going to execute it because he knows he has to be at his best to even stand Possibly a chance of beating Okada at this point. Okada's, like, video package seemed to have a lot of it, footage of him rain-making Tanahashi <laughs> in it as well. A little of that little, like... 
uh, nod to psychological warfare that they threw in. Well, you want to see some brilliant psychological warfare at one point uh, around the middle part of the match is when, I don't know if you know this, but Tanahashi does Gado's finishing move, the Gado clutch, which is a, a pinfall uh, maneuver where he hooks his feet under your arms, rolls you over, and turns it into a cradle, which gets a really long two pounds. Ah, Because right, I think you might have okay. heard the, the, the commentator saying, Gado clutch or something like that. Yeah. And then it, you see a shot of Gado, and he literally says, in English, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I did wonder why, like, he went for such a peculiar mm. type of, like, roll-up. I've yeah. got it written down as, but that makes sense now. So, yeah, after Tanahashi owns him with the headlock and then owns him with the playing possum, he immediately then starts going back to targeting the arm. But what I like is that whilst the whole of the previous match was about him targeting the arm and the arm alone, with this one it's more like he needs to break him down in a variety of different ways as well as he can't just focus on the on hurting his arm. He has to hurt his spirit and he has to hurt his confidence in himself and he has to outwit him as well in the match because he basically damaged Okada's arm to as far as it could go and Okada still was able to finish him off with a Rainmaker so it's like he can severely weaken him but he's not necessarily going to be able to win it all with just that no, it needs to, as you say, break down his spirit, break down his um, drive, you know, you know, hurt him. So, like, for example, with the dragon screw, um, if he does that to the leg, he does the drop kick to the like the knee. If he takes away his power base as well as his Rainmaker arm, maybe that'll be enough to truly negate the threat he poses. Yeah, but pretty much for the rest of the match, it is going back to that arm. He's just done additional things on top of it. Uh, but, and Okada does sell the peril as well. Like, yeah. there's a great moment I really love where they're trading like shots against each other, and Okada starts hitting elbows, but hits elbows so much on the bad arm that he just crumples mid like strike flurry because he just can't go through the pain anymore. Yeah. So really, throughout the rest of the match, what Okada's doing is trying to hit the big moves because it's like he's being out wrestled, so he's just got to try and, you know, he's almost like a humping, you know, punting the ball up for a. For a long attack, because that's the Route best one rest. Yeah, just try and get to the pin as quickly as possible. So Does that make hitting... Gado Big Sam? I guess so, yeah. He's certainly got a, <laughs> a similar demeanour. Uh, <laughs> I think they both like to chew gum a lot. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like he's, he, he drop kicks him to the outside, whips him. He's the one that whips him into the barricade and boots him over, does the draping DDZ, all that kind of classic stuff. And you know, he sort of dominates the outside, like little um sojourn outside in that mm. first the first time they go outside. Mm. Uh, he gets back in, and but then um, it's his art, it's his it's his injuries that slow him down again. Yeah, yeah. He tries to climb the ropes, and another sort of flare esque moment where Tanahashi grabs him whilst he's climbing the ropes, and Gorilla presses him over. I don't know if these are intentional, but you know, like uh, you know, separate they're... flare spots are in this match. They might have been listening to that Ric Flair playlist on Spotify before this match, or probably watching some, you know, you know, they might have had it just fresh in their minds, but why not? Why not have a little fun with it? It's a great playing homage is a great way to differentiate what you've been doing because they have been fighting on the big stage quite a few recent big occasions. You've got to have some variety. So yeah, even uh, Tanahashi sort of wins a strike exchange uh, catches Okada's boot when Okada tries to do one of his trademark boots, does a dragon strew, follows up with a stinger splash. 
he dodges Okada's drop kick and then hits it. again. He's just he's um you know he's uh, one step ahead at all times and his limb work like is the traditional case. I don't know if anyone does limb work outside of maybe Bret Hart and arguably Ric Flair better than Tanahashi does because he's because he adapts his classic moves like it's the dragon screw but now it's to the arm instead of the arm you know the leg whip he's doing elbows and uppercuts to the arm then he just starts headbutting it that's beautiful uh, it's just anything he every he's just throwing the kitchen sink yeah and he's doing it again to go back to the mind game but it's just before this um flurry of moves that you've listed he hits the rainmaker pose well he hits and- his sort of it's not cause version, like, yeah, because like uh, uh, Okada's arms are stretched out like a crucifix, almost, you know, like yeah. Whereas, yeah, no, whereas that's, that's, that's just Tanahashi's trademark, sort of. It's like a higher angle version of Randy Orton's classic pose, really. Uh-huh. But that was him doing his equivalent of the Rainmaker pose. Okay, I, I, I guess I equated it more to the Rainmaker, possibly because he'd done the playing possum thing as well. well. If anything, Okada doing that is like his response to Tanahashi's classic pose in a way. Mm. But then, um, to jump back to where you were, I do love how Akada's trying to get his submission in, and then, yeah, rather than sell like um, a hit to the arm as like to show weakness, it's the fact that he just doesn't have the strength in his arm. Yeah, it's just another that, different way of conveying damage that yeah, you don't before, normally see. And before that, he's got him up in like an Alabama slam position for his sort of the thing where he catches their head and drops them on their knee, and his right arm just can't hold the leg. And so it just yeah. gives Tanahashi too much room to escape the move. Uh, and like you say, he's so then when he tries to do that STF, he can't apply it. He's just His arm is not capable of doing it. And when he goes for it later on, it, it remains a problem, even when he's able to cinch in at the later point. Like, and when he's hit that... Twice when he's got it cinched in and cranked up, when Tanahashi could be in a perilous submission position... Tan- Okada just can't hold on and eventually when he has to let go Tanahashi has that time to scramble to the ropes and escape it yeah. Um, but yeah just the whole thing about Okada whenever he's doing these things he's hoping to finish it as quickly as possible like he's going for a pin off of every move he's hitting basically he does the Rainmaker pose but it's so like half hearted and barely energetic that the camera doesn't even know whether it should pull out or not <laughs> no it delays doesn't it yeah. it's like is it I, yeah, I guess <laughs> Yeah, at first you thought it was just a rare miss on the part of uh, the New Japan production team. What do you, uh, think, of, what do you think about I do Tanahashi? love the block to that Rainmaker as well, where yeah. Tanahashi just like axe handles the elbow, just smashes it. It's like, no, you're not doing it. It's like in the movies when um, uh, the smaller hero's fighting like the big giant and he goes for what he thinks is like kill movies. Mm. And like the giant just absolutely obliterates the weapon and then he starts having to scramble to find it or find an alternative like you know it just reminded me of that classic moment you see in all of those fight scenes yeah what do you think of okada doing the top rope elbow with his bad elbow because you were saying like i think it was uh i think it was in the previous match when okada was like using his good arm for most of the rest of the match or it was it was a previous match you were saying that someone was using their their good arm as opposed to their back like their hurt arm throughout the rest yeah. of, for, for like t- the next 20 minutes of the match or so might have been an all Japan match. Can't remember. So is that like a sign of like him being a, like still young and naive, or just it was instincts and then he realizes too late, or uh, maybe he could like, have adjusted and tried to do it with his other arm. He could have leapt off the turnbuckle the other way, I guess. But mm-hmm. if it's what he's comfortable with, 
I guess like, if, if, if it's like muscle memory kicking yeah. in once you get to the top as well. And also you've uh, talked about, quite rightly, he's desperate in this moment. He ha- maybe he doesn't have yeah. the time to adjust in his head. He's just got to hit the elbow. Yeah. And that's... But everyone's got like a favourite foot or a favourite hand. And it's just, that's just what that is. So yeah, he goes for the Rainmaker at that point. But it's obvious that he's still not in full control. He's just kind of trying to finish it as quickly as can. Tanahashi is able to block that, and then that's when he goes for the Gado clutch, uh, much to the Rainmaker's accomplice's uh, disgust. Disgust, going all scrappy, dude. Let me at him. And so then, what's really funny is that Okada does a Rainmaker, but essentially is a defensive move. Kind yeah. of like how Tanahashi will go back to a dragon screw leg whip to give him like a moment to give him respite time. Yeah. Yeah. Because like when he goes for the pin, the crowd aren't exactly shocked that he doesn't get three out of it because the pin's quite late after that and he's bent. And he's just lying on him. He's yeah. not covering him really. Mm. So that's funny, like I said, like the the adaptation of your moveset and it working within the psychology of this match on its own. Um But yeah, so and that's when he goes for this STF figure four and he can barely get it, hold it for that long before his arm gives in. Mm. Um, and he just keeps losing his grip. And then he goes for a tombstone and he can't lift him up again. And that's when like Tanahashi gets his flurry as well. And mm. then you just think this is where Okada's like, shot his shot and he's not going to uh, be able to contain the uh, the man. Because Tanahashi moves around the ring for the next few moves. Just like so quickly, so like... I have to make this count. And he really yeah. like conveys that just in the way he moves. But he has know? he has taken a Rainmaker and it is still affecting him at that moment. Yeah. So when he does hit him with like a, a Snapdragon suplex, a, like a, a sudden Dragon suplex, and then a, then Okada does a pop-up cell, which was interesting. Mm. And so Tanahashi replies to that with a Sling Blade. It's still like Tanahashi's also got running on reserves at this moment. Uh, to the point that they're both up at the same time on opposite corners and then Okada charges and it's Tanahashi who managed to hit the charging Okada with the drop kick. Again, he's just uh, just one step ahead at all times in this match. Um, yeah. So And then follows up with his high fly flow cross body and that's, you know, so many times we've seen that be the setup to the finishing high fly flow and Okada knows it and so he just has to roll to the outside and so Tanahashi's like, I'm not done. And what happens there, side? Because I think you texted me about this. It is the most beautiful high flow flow I've ever, ever seen him do. He just he lands it so perfectly, and it's it's just gorgeous. And he just hits Okada to the outside, uh, but it's taken a lot out of him to do it. So it gives mm. Okada the slight opening just to snap a pile driver onto him out of nowhere. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. Uh, whether that was the right time to do it, but I can understand why they did it just within the context of he's just taken like a Tanahashi's finisher to the outside essentially, and he's already really been not not long it. after taking and, it to the inside and as only well. A while earlier, his arm wasn't able to do the tombstone before. Yeah, but I guess it's just again just that surge of desperate adrenaline because it's like it's his last chance. It's like the again, it's using one of his trademark finishing moves as a defense move. Yeah. And then they both end up getting into the ring, like Okada at the 17 count, Tanahashi at like the 19 and a half count. Oh, God, he really cut that fine. And then they continue the double down because they're both out when they get back in the ring. And so then they get a standing, you know, they get a KO count on the inside, which goes to an eight. 
Yeah. So they really milk those moves, really. And they stagger into each other and immediately... Well, it's a, get, well, it's a great change, way But of... also immediately Tanahashi goes back to the arm. Yeah. And uh, then Okada just tries to fight back with the good arm. This is when like he starts doing some good arm stuff with the uppercuts as well. Mm. I like um, as well because... They... He just really goes for it. He goes for those drop kicks, and he's like hitting several drop kicks mm. um, to Tanaha- Tanahashi, and he thinks, right, this is my moment. Goes for the Rainmaker, and then Tanahashi just like becomes like um, I'm trying to think like a cat burglar when it comes to finishes. He just imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. He hits the Rainmaker, and then he hits the Styles Clash, the cheeky devil. Yeah, yeah, but he also, but that's the thing again, like how he took his drop kick earlier, he also took his Rainmaker. Yeah. And he hits it really well. You know, it was a very convincing long two count. Yeah. And like you say, the Styles clash at that point. Um, although at that point, AJ Styles isn't yet the Bullet Club leader. Yeah. Uh, he's still in TNA at this point. It's still Prince Devitt who's the leader of the Bullet Club. Ah, okay. But nevertheless, it's still a but devastating... yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's significance to that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then he does a high-fly photo to the back, and then he goes for the high-fly photo, and again, just such amazing timing from Okada. He gets his knees up basically at the last possible moment mm. to do that. A lot of the time, people will be on the safe side and put the knees up, like, the moment, or even before the moment the where the person jumps. But yeah. he wants to keep you in anticipation, you know, milk that, that to the like I said to the last second. Yeah. Then he and it's something you absolutely to have to head. get right from a safety perspective as well. Yeah, and then he hits his drop kick to the back of the head. So this is his moment. This is his opening, and then just a fantastic sequences of ducks with the rainmaker before he finally hits it. And it's not a complete demolition. It is just he caught him, and it's just enough to win that match. You know, but you feel yeah. like if you were judging it on points, Tanahashi's quite a fair distance ahead, you know? Oh, either it's, one, it's yeah. Okada, Okada's sneaking it out there. So it's hardly what would seem like the decisive end of their rivalry, because it turns out, Simon, it is not. Not by any stretch of the imagination, no. But that was a great match, and I think it's one of my favourite Tanahashi performances of him, like I said, just wrestling the perfect match. And it's not even that he makes a mistake, it's just a kind of, he's wrestling maybe the best wrestler in the world at that moment who can just find a way to get a win at all costs. Yeah. He, he's great at, like... I don't want to say survive. He is surviving, but it's also not, if you catch my drift. It's not surviving in terms of, like, he's the plucky underdog that keeps finding a way. He's much more than that. He's a massively viable threat. Um, I, how, would I, how would I term it? It's like watching a really, really good counter-attacking team. Not a team that like sits deep, but like a fluid counter-attacking team. You know, he's got threats, but he can also switch quite seamlessly from having his threat like going. Even when he's defending, he's still a threat, and he sort of utilizes that. Yeah, I can't really think of like another sporting example off the top of my head, but you get the point I'm trying to make. So, would you give this one five stars, Matt Simon? I really would. Yes, yeah, I, I'm I, with you as well. I would as well. I really enjoyed the way the story was told, and it's really structured really well. If I, I'm obviously in no position to say to any professional wrestler, this is how you should do things. Despite the fact, obviously, we have a wrestling podcast. Mm. Um, but if I was to, if I, if for whatever reason, had to teach someone 
what wrestling psychology was and what it should be, I would use this match. Yeah. Yeah, Because barring one or two little bits, like as we've alluded to, it's pretty much perfect. Tanahashi, I think now, is as close as I've come to loving a wrestler in the same way that I love Bret Hart's. In that he doesn't, he never makes me feel stupid watching one of his matches. Yeah, and he does everything has a purpose and a psych. You know, I think for psychology, you look at these matches with Suzuki. You know, whilst we didn't give it five stars, that the the match he had with Shibata was perfect. The one with Nakamura again, at least the character dynamics of the match were fantastic. Um, he's just a guy that knows what he's doing and knows how to tell a story. And knows how to be the hate, either the the overwhelming babyface ultimate all time goody two shoes, or the subtle heel babyface wrestler. Yeah, you know, it, he's got an inherent comfortability to whatever he's doing. That I think you should just say comfort. I don't think you need to add the ability to that. No, no, I'm going to do it. Okay, go and invent words. See, I'm comfortable doing that. You're comfortable of doing that. I am, if that's a thing. See, I don't, I don't word isn't. shame. <laughs> I, I'm linguistically fluid because it's 2019. Mm. <laughs> but to get to my actual point, he's got, okay, I'll use the term assurance. He's got an assurance <laughs> within the ring that you just don't see really these days. Maybe because people are rushing too much. They're trying to always like make sure they hit the really big, cool moves. Yeah. But he's just... He, he connects it all together. He makes yes. it flow. Yes. Makes it high fly flow. Away. Mm. Delightful. So I like, I like that. See, I'm going to encourage you. Mm. So when are you going on your linguistic fluid parade? <laughs> carrying your carrying your flags with gravity's rainbow on it. Uh, um, well, what we do is we usually go to libraries and burn dictionaries. You know, very restrictive devices. Ah, <sighs> well. <laughs> If people want to get in touch with you about those sort of things, how can they do so, Simon? Uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Crushery. Uh, so known because that's the number of syllables I've decided that's in the word comfortability, even if it isn't or not. Because, you know, syllable, all, all words can have as many syllables as they want. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-Accuracy is the A, and non-existent is the N. <laughs> That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me via email, it's at gmail.com at the end of Lorcan Mullen. You can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com, and lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle. Simon, now we've caught back up on ourselves. We're then going to jump another three and a half, uh, three, uh, no, Two and two and a quarter years, basically. Um, what's the next match we're going to cover? Is it going to be anything uh, a bit different? Because now we've covered what is apparently the last Kazuchika Okada Ta- Hiroshi Tanahashi match. Uh, what's our next match? Our next match, as I try and get my bearings, we are going back to the show we covered in our last linear. No, Simon, we're not. Oh fuck! I'm lost then. We're doing it in our release schedule. You're you should be looking for Kazuchika Okada against Hiroshi Tanahashi at the Wrestle Kingdom match. Way we were told this would be the last. They lied. For Tanahashi, for Okada did lose his IWGP Heavyweight Title to AJ Styles, 
And AJ Styles did lose that title to Tanahashi, for Tanahashi was allowed to challenge someone who wasn't Okada. So this time it's Okada as the challenger, and it's not only the chance for him to truly usurp Tanahashi, he can usurp him once and for all on the biggest stage of all, Wrestle Kingdom, the Tokyo Dome, January the 4th, 2016. So that'll be our next episode. We're jumping two years and three months ahead of time Oof. after having jumped back, want to kiss myself, uh, about 22 months before then. Right. It's about as much sense as Endgame. But anyway, <laughs> there's nothing much left to say at this point other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>